Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to an episode of Flyber Labs, and today we get to talk to Dennis Crowley. And many of you probably have heard of Dennis. He's the co-founder of the popular location-based and discovery apps of Foursquare and Swarm. And uh, beyond that, they've built a lot of back-end data services for ad tech and the city planning and hedge funds and I think a number of other ones. So maybe we'll hear about some of those as well. And he also recently started a soccer team in Kingston, New York, which is pretty cool. And so uh, Dennis has done uh, quite well and he's received a number of awards, including a couple of times he's been named the Fortune's 40 Under 40. And uh, before Foursquare, he started Dodgeball, which was uh, eventually acquired by Google. And I still remember when Dodgeball first came out, so pretty excited to talk to Dennis today about that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, interested in what Dennis is um, up to now and was excited about and just hear about his experiences. So, Dennis, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, happy to be a part of the show. It's, uh, it's always fun to, fun to join. Definitely. And so... I think the the story behind dodgeball um, is kind of interesting. If I remember right, this is a long time ago, but I remember when it first came out. And uh, how did you get the idea for dodgeball back? And and what what year did you start dodgeball? Yeah, I mean dodgeball's been kicking around for the better. I don't know. It's like 15 years, more than that. You know, we probably started it around the year 2000 okay. or so when it was just a website. Um, you know, that was designed for people to add reviews and, you know, be able to add new places. I mean, New York was expanding very quickly back in those days, and there wasn't a city guide that could really keep up with, with how quickly it was changing. And so that was where the, the big idea came from. You know, a couple of years later, as all my friends started getting laid off from their dot-com days, um, we kind of tweaked the product a little bit to make it about... Um, you know, you turning it into a utility so that people could broadcast their location. Like, hey, I don't have a job, and you don't have a job, and none of my friends have jobs. <laughs> so why don't you just? We'll make a tool that says, uh, "Hey, I'm at Bleecker Bar, come and meet me," or "I'm at Central Park, come and meet me." Um, and that, that's what it was. It was a tool for our laid-off friends, our friends with no jobs. And um, you know, from there, a bunch of people started using it. Not too many. You know, it was probably a couple dozen. Uh, and then I went to grad school, and we kind of dusted off some of that old old code and, and turned it into something much bigger. And this was, you know, five years later. Uh, and then that turned into our thesis project, which we then sold to Google. And then that's kind of where everything started accelerating. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting story. So, how, you know, how, what prompted you to even get into building a website around that? Have you, were you always curious growing up or kind of entrepreneurial or what, what gave you the initiative to do that? Yeah, I um, you know, I always like to make things. Like we used to make like little like fanzines in high school about like skateboarding and video games and you know little school newspapers and and stuff like that. Um, you know, in college we were making websites and you know making you know kind of like personal journals, like publish your photos online and tell a story about how much fun we had last weekend. Like we we like to do that and tell stories and you know make things that that helped us tell stories. Um, you know, the, like with with dodgeball, it was like the the first version that was like very much like a city guide. We were, you know, we were we were in New York, and you know, we just moved down to the city after college, and I was frustrated with the existing tools, like the city searches that people use. And I was like, this is just a shitty product. Um, sorry, sorry, I don't know if you can say it yourself. It's a lousy product. Um, you know, someone should make something better. 
And, you know, when no one makes something better, sometimes you're just like, well, why don't we just be the ones that make something better? And I think, you know, that that's kind of the big epiphany that I had around, um, you know, 2000, 2001 or so, where it's like, if there's stuff that you want to see, like you can either sit around, you know, if there's something you want to see in the world, you can either sit around and wait for someone else to make it, or you can just make it yourself. And, um, you know, like I was meeting people that had started companies at that time. And I'm like, you're just like me. You're just like a year older and you know how to code things. Like, why can't I be you someday? And, um, you know, I kind of went through that experience in New York and, and started, just started building my own stuff. Nice. And, and it, I like ideas that kind of keep coming back, like the dodgeball one and, you know, and uh, morphing into different things. Cause sometimes it's hard and they're like, well, how much time should I spend on this idea? And, uh, but it sounds like it kind of came and went and came and went and eventually then you put a lot more time into it. Yeah, it was just a, I mean, it was a side project for a, for a long time. And I think this is important. You know, it's like, not like I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to do this thing. It was like, we just, you know, you'd build a little bit every couple of days or every couple of weeks. And, you know, dodgeball was around 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, before it turned into something big, is which when we sold it to Google. I mean, that's five or six years of just building this thing, you know, tinkering with it before it turned into something. So it's not like an overnight thing. Um, and, you know, even even Foursquare, like when we, when we rebuilt Foursquare after Dodgeball went away, I mean, it was just a side project. It was, let's build this thing, let's get our friends to use it, maybe it will be as big as Dodgeball was. Like that's, that's how we used to think about it. Um, which is, which is also interesting, um, because that's how the soccer stuff is starting. Like I, you know, we started a soccer team, um, up in the Hudson Valley of New York, about two hours outside the city. And it's, you know, it's just a small thing. We're going to start our second season and, you know, people are like, Oh, it's just like a small little project. Like it is now, but like, what is it in five years? I don't know. You know, like <laughs> Foursquare blew up in a huge, awesome way. And now there's 200 people that work here. Like what, what happens to this other thing that we're working on? So you know, I think it's um, it's it's interesting. Like in the in the early days, when you're like you get something that you think is really interesting and you're really excited about it, and sometimes you're not, you know, you're you're not perfectly articulate about why you are excited about it, um, and then everyone tells you, ah, I don't know, this isn't a good idea, or why are you working on this? Why don't you do something else? Um, but you know, sometimes those things grow up and and turn into really great, excellent projects. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a healthy way. I think to look at things too. Not that it's a lot of pressure. To say I'm going to start this and I'm going to grow it to a million users in one year, <laughs> and if it doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's funny when you when you write it out like that. It seems kind of audacious, right? Yeah. But um, you know, like I remember one of the first times we ever sat down with Fred Wilson. This is before Union Square gave us our first, um, you know, first check. I remember him saying, like, so when are you going to hit a million users? I'm like, a million users will never hit a million users. Like, it just seemed crazy for us. This was back in, like, summer 2009. But then, sure enough, like, a couple months later, we hit hit a million users. And, you know, that that comes from, like, you know, I'd never built something that hit a million users before. But, you know, Fred and his job as a venture capitalist, like, his, you know, his job is finding those companies that go from, you know, zero users to a million users. And he, he saw us as one of those things, and we were able to pull it off. So, so did you actually tell Fred in the meeting that you won't hit a million users? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember like laughing. Like I, I don't think we're ever going to hit a million users. But let's all get our expectations, you know, expectations in check. That's and then you know, here we are eight years later, where there's like 50 million people every month that use it. Um, and you know, that's that's, a, that's great, right? <laughs> so, but it it just shows how far you can come in in eight so, years. So why so why do you think they must have just not believed you? Because 
you know, generally you're, 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 uh, told to tell VCs like, Oh, you know, make sure your numbers are huge and you know, they need to hit a billion exit, but it sounds like you guys didn't have those numbers necessarily. Um, it's well, I mean, it's like it, everything's a little different now, okay. um, than it, than it was, than it was then. Um, I think just because there's so many more people that are using these devices every day, you know, like when we started, we were in a, it wasn't pre Twitter, but it was before Twitter was big. It was before like everyone in the world knew what Twitter is. Um, and it was before everyone in the world had a Facebook account. And so like the expectations were different then. It's like, Oh, we're making stuff that like tech people use. And now, you know, eight years later, it's like, no, you're making stuff that's like used by more people than, than, than watch TV, right? It's like yeah. a much larger wow. audience. It's kind of a big, big, amazing thing. And yeah, I can't believe it's been eight, eight years. Wow. And, uh, and so can you just tell, in case people are been living under a rock, what Foursquare is and, and did you start it in 2009? Then when was the official, when did you kind of start tinkering with it? Yeah, I mean, we started tinkering with it in 2008, but really, we didn't get serious about it. We always say January 2009 is the day in which I start counting from. Um, so, let me see. So, you know, like, Foursquare now, we always we pitch ourselves as like a, we're a location intelligence company, right? So, it's a technology company that makes products that, you know, gather lots of information about what's going on in the world, mostly through our two consumer apps, the Foursquare City Guide app and the, and the Swarm uh, check-in app. Um, and then we built a whole bunch of products um, that leverage that data for advertisers and for marketers and for analysts and financial people. So they get a sense of like, how do phones move through the world? And you know, what is what does it mean that more phones were at Apple stores last week than this week, or fewer phones were at Chipotle last quarter than this quarter? Or, you know, the people that saw this ad actually went into the BMW dealership over a 30-day period. You know, so we help people figure out what's going on in, in the real world. Um, another big part of the company is, like, we license a lot of the technology and, and data back to other companies. So even if you don't use the Foursquare City Guide app or the Swarm app, there's a good chance that you touch Foursquare data through, mm-hmm. you know, using Snapchat geofilters or geotagging a tweet in, uh, you know, in Twitter or geotagging something in Pinterest or using Apple Maps outside the U.S. or calling an Uber and telling it to pick you up at a certain store. I mean, all those things leverage Foursquare data. And uh, and and so what are you uh, licensing or essentially licensing? Because like, you have really good refined location data, location engine, or what are you... Uh... Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's like our data database of yeah. about 100 million places around the world, mm-hmm. um, as well as all the metadata that goes with them, like the address and the phone number and, you know, the photos and all the tips that go with it. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's all the stuff that's kind of bundled in our, in our API. We've got you know, like 100,000 people that use the API. I think the, the big news around here now is that um, we have this other technology, which is called Pilgrim. And, you know, it's a piece of technology that enables Foursquare to understand, okay, when, you, when you've taken your phone inside of, a, inside of a place, like a store or a coffee shop or, uh, you know, a bakery or gym, whatever it is, any, any place. If you walk inside the place and once the phone's inside, like, we can figure out, oh, this person's inside of a Starbucks. We know this place. Like, you've been here three times. You like to go to coffee shops. And then if you walk out and then go into, like, the J. Crew next door, it's like, oh, yeah, we, we know this place. You're inside of a J. Crew now. You know, like this, everyone's had GPS forever, but GPS is just kind of these coordinates, you know? 
um, of like where you are on a uh, you know on a on a map and what the Pilgrim database does and what the Pilgrim SDK does enables the you know developers to know with a high degree of precision are you in this store or that store or this coffee shop or that coffee shop um, and so now we're starting to to talk to developers about embedding this inside of their apps so you could make a game that was different if you were inside of a you know a bookstore or a coffee shop. You know, your character powers up differently if you're in a gym or eating pizza, right? Um, you know, you can make apps that, you know, there's some couponing apps that use it. Like, if you go into a store and there's a relevant coupon there, it pops up and it lets you know about that. You know, you can make exercise apps that shame you depending on, you know, where you've been eating out the last couple of days. So, like, having this type of awareness, we believe, is going to be this big part of the mobile, you know, the future of all things mobile computing and contextual work computing and now we're powering this for lots of developers mm. and is that are there apps actually using it right now the kind of the contextual aspect or is it are they yeah. developing it well we just launched it like two, um two weeks ago yeah. uh and we have a closed kind of like a closed but public beta going on at the same time so it's probably about 10 10 different apps that are using it and there's you know a couple hundred people that signed up to be on the wait list when you use it. And the plan is to eventually just make it, you know, accessible to anyone. So any student at NYU can use it, any developer out of a garage can use it. Um but you know like, it, it, like the things that I'm I get really excited about are like um what happens when when Siri actually works or when you can take Alexa out into the world and it walks around with you. Right? All those things are gonna get smarter depending on their understanding of, of what you do, you know, every day. Like, do you go to the gym? Do you go to the sushi restaurant? Do you go to the supermarket? Do you go to the fancy supermarket? Do you go to the cheap supermarket? Do you go to the Starbucks? Do you go to the indie coffee shop? Like, all this stuff gets smarter based on its understanding of how you use the real world. But those things have to know where you go, and they have to know your patterns and what you like and what you don't like. And I think it's going to be Foursquare Tech that's going to be powering that, that part of a lot of those experiences. Um, and so I think that's going to be a big part of, of everything that kind of happens in this, you know, mobile and contextual world over the next, you know, two years or so. Yeah. And even as, I mean, even the, I guess even further down the road with augmented reality are, is even more popular. I mean, the a big part of that is understand the context and like anything else, but you, you, that's, that can be even more nuanced. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, everything's based off GPS now, like just the coordinates and people still need to figure out like, okay, this GPS coordinate maps to what? Is it the Best Buy or is it the Staples store? And that's easy to do in the suburbs or when the stores are really, really big. But in New York, where everything's smaller or, you know, not just New York, take the, the top 500 cities in the world where, like, you know, everything is not a huge store. It's very difficult to do that stuff. And, you know, that's that's a big part of the problem that we're helping uh, develop ourselves. So, so that's interesting. So it, let's say you're in Manhattan and there's a – a laundromat right next to a bar, you mm-hmm. could, you could probably identify whether that person's went into the laundromat or the bar. Yeah, there's probably like you know 95 percent precision wow. when we do it. Really? So you know, if someone walks out of the bar and goes into the laundromat, we can usually detect that change of state as well. Interesting, because I mean, the GPS in your phone that must only track you to like 20 or 30 feet. Is that right, or do you know? It's- yeah, it depends on the phone, depends okay. on the condition, you know, the like the weather conditions, yeah. the conditions of the city. Is the building made out of glass? Is it made out of brick? Is the roof made out of concrete? You know, there's all these things that that affect that. And so the way our model works is um, it, like it uses GPS, but it also uses 
um, okay, what Wi-Fi signals can you see? What Bluetooth signals can you see? What what um, GSM radios do you see right now? So like every place in the world has a fingerprint, you know, of, of like of you know what radios can be seen and what what types of radios can be seen, and it, actually like every floor and every building has a different fingerprint too. And what happens is every time someone hits that check-in button or likes a place or uploads a photo or saves a place, whatever it is, like that teaches us about the fingerprint of that place and we use that map of fingerprints to figure out where where all this stuff is happening. And so, you know, it turns out that the consumer apps, the Foursquare City Guide app and the Swarm app, like they're the ones that are, you know, they're they're collecting all like all of this information about, okay, what do places look like? What do the Bluetooth and Wi Fi Wi Fi signals look like? So that when the next person walks in, we're like, Oh, I've seen this place before. This place is called, you know, Auntie Anne's Pretzels. We've seen this place. Um, and so we just we can do that now for 100 million places around the world, uh, which is what makes the data set so powerful. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I like the, the fingerprinting analogy. And so, yeah, so you can even tell people, figure out if people are on the second and third floor, potentially. And then, then yeah, you're not I mean, using, that's, that's what's so, then you're not yeah, using I mean, GPS like, at that point. Yeah, like, for example, like, um, you know, I'm in Foursquare HQ. We're in Soho, and the, yeah. the building is i don't know it's 200 feet wide right is that right let's call it yeah call it 200 feet <laughs> wide and there's ten, there's 10 10 floors here but you know foursquare the all the apps and all the technology it knows when you're on the 10th floor because the wi-fi scan up here looks different than it does mm-hmm. on the fifth floor looks different than it does on the second floor looks different than it does on the street and so we get that z-axis resolution just by understanding what radios you can see and and can't see Wow, that you must have some pretty good uh, data, folks. You must have a, a, quite a large data set if you're capturing all that all the time. That's amazing. That's uh, yeah. I think there's like 11 billion check-ins. I think that's the number, and we get probably 10 million per day. And there's a team of data scientists that are constantly optimizing and, and pulling things out. But um, you know, I think that what's the, the, the real interesting stuff that comes from that data set is our ability to just like understand these trends in the real world. You know, are more people going to ice cream shops around the world now than they were two weeks ago? That's that's an easy one, you know. But it's like, did more people go in to malls on Black on Black Friday this year versus last year? And you know, can we predict that even before Black Friday happens, based off of all the store visits that we've seen, you know, over the past six months? Like those are the types of things we're trying to do: is like predict the future based upon where phones have been in the past. And when you can do that accurately, you know, you can do things like predict stock market behavior, um, you know, anticipate, um, you know, foot traffic trends in retail, uh, you know, measure the effectiveness of advertising online or offline, like measure the effectiveness of outdoor advertising if you wanted to. Like there's lots of really cool things that you can do with that data set when you have it working. And, you know, the big story for us is like, you know, we work on stuff for a long time and it, and it finally works, you know, it just started working like a couple of years ago. Wow. wow. And and I remember I saw an interview and they you said that uh, you know uh, Foursquare is finally where that it where it's at now is kind of where you want the the vision you originally had when you started the company, um, but it's just taken a while to fulfill. I mean, did you when you started Foursquare did you kind of have the vision of offering this contextual data at some point? Well, we wanted to. We always wanted to. Make, you know, we have this other app called MarsBot. Have you seen that? Yep. Yep. It's it's like a. It's, you know, it's our version of a bot. It's it's more it's like an R and D project. You can download it in the store, but it's 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 like an R and D project here. Um, and there's, you know, not a, not a ton of users 
tens of thousands of users of it. I don't even know what the number is. Um, but the idea is that, you know, you download this thing and you kind of put it in your pocket. And then as you walk around, it tells you about what you should do. Like, oh, go to the store across the street. Or, mm-hmm. hey, because I, because you spend a lot of time in this neighborhood, you should know about this awesome place that opened up. Um, and, you know, that's what we wanted to build. We wanted to build something that could understand, you know, where you've been and then tell you where to go based upon where you've been. But in order to even build that, you have to know about all the places in the world right? Which is a lot. You have to know what's great about all the places in the world. Like that's hard. And then you have to know, um, you have to know when they open and when they close and when they're popular and when they're not and why they're popular, which is hard. And then you have to understand where people have gone so that you can match up like the right place that you should go in the future with the places that you've been to in the past. And it just takes, like, there's a lot of things that had to get built in order to make that vision happen. And that's what we've been doing for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And going back to the, you know, being able to kind of predict, have, have you seen any, I'm, this is more of a fun fact, but if you can think of one, a prediction that uh, you saw that uh, whether it's around people shopping at malls or anything, is there any uh, kind of fun fact that you have or trend that you saw that? Um, um, I, I haven't. You know, like usually we 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 do we, we do this as like a press story, right? Okay. You know, like we find an interesting insight and we and we throw it out there and it you know advertises kind of how awesome the data is and then that gets us clients that want to dig into it. But you know, we predicted the number of iPhone sixes that would get sold. We predicted Chipotle's stock market decline after the E. coli breakout. We predicted Black Friday traffic accurately. We predicted the drop in Trump. Uh, um, in visits to Trump properties after the campaign started, um, you know, it's, there's there's a whole slew of these things that, that we've done. Huh. Um, and then, you know, when when we're right, uh, we did we did something with like you know, McDonald's breakfast versus Taco Bell breakfast. You know, when when we're right about these things and, and we're often right, that's what sends a lot of um, you know hedge funds our way that want to say, <laughs> hey, can we trade off this data or or advertisers like, yeah. oh my gosh, you, you you know how to do this like. Can you can you help us figure out uh, how to run this ad campaign, the effectiveness of the campaign? Can you help us figure out where we should put our next ten stores? You know that 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 type of stuff is is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is a like I knew you guys are still active and like you know you're um, doing well, but man, this is a I didn't know you had this much going on, and that is, you're almost yeah, in your golden cool. years <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, which, kind of right. It's funny because there's a lot of people that still say like. Um, well, you guys are making, you know, that, that check-in app, do people still check in? And I'm like, there's plenty of people that still check in. They're like, I don't check in anymore. I'm like, that's fine. Cause there's like 50 million people around the world that use these products every month. And so we're doing just fine without you. Um, but you know, you probably don't even know that you use Foursquare data on a regular basis, whether it's for Twitter or Pinterest or Apple maps or Snapchat or whatever, uh, which is kind of the cool part, right? Like, so we're baked into all these other, you know, all these other, um, platforms. And I think you're only going to see more of that in the future. Gotcha. Okay, and I got some other couple other things I want to talk about after this, but one more. I was just curious about curious about the pricing for this uh, for Pilgrim. Will it just be based on API calls, or how will you uh, price it? The, the data. Yeah, service? I think they're still working through kind of the nuts and bolts of okay. the pricing, but it's based off of off of usage. Okay. Um, you know, if you're uh, event, it's kind of like the API. Like if you're a student and you're building something awesome off the API. Like we don't charge you for it, but if your student project turns out to be, you know, Snapchat, then we'll we'll start charging for it. Gotcha. Okay. 
Makes sense. All right, so I let's talk a little bit. You mentioned at the beginning that I mentioned at the beginning too is uh, about the the soccer team. I'm just uh, I I read uh, that's so I think it finally prompted me to contact you because I read the article about you starting a soccer team. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and, uh, and so yeah, uh, it's, it's a it's a fun project. Yeah. So yeah, what have you always been interested in soccer? What prompted you to uh, make start that? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I start, I'm, I'm not any good at playing. I didn't, I didn't grow, I have, I didn't play growing up. I, um, you know, started playing probably eight or nine years ago, around the same time that we were, were doing first quarters. Like a buddy, a buddy's mine put a team together and they were all pretty skilled and they all played in high school and college and, you know, I had never played. And so I was the worst one in the league, probably, and probably still am the worst one in the league. Um, but, you know, like we've always been going to matches and we've been following the, um, the U.S. around when they're in the World Cup and they're trying to qualify. And, you know, I really, really enjoy that, like kind of the, the global nature of the, of the sport. Um, but, you know, like my wife and I spend, uh, spend a lot of time outside the city. So we have a place about two hours north of the city in a town called Kingston. And one day we were just sitting around being like, it would be cool to do a match. I wish it was, we'd go see a game. We'd take our friends, take, you know, take our friends' kids. It'd be fun to go. And just, there's no team up there. And I was wondering, why hasn't anyone made a team? Like, I want to go see a match. Why is there no team up there? Kind of the same thing with dodgeball, right? You know, it's like, this city guide sucks. Why can't we just, why doesn't someone make a better one? Well, we'll just do it. You know, it's the same thing with stockade. It's like, there's no team up here. Well, how about we'll just make a team? And so that's what we did. And it took us, you know, like uh, nine months to do it. We found some great players. We found a great coach. We, you know, have a great brand. We found a stadium, sponsors, uh, practice fields. You know, there's like about a thousand things he has to do. Um, and, you know, like now we're about to go into our second season. You know, we get close to a thousand fans at the game. Really? Uh, which is, yeah, it's awesome. You know, like, it's, you know, we're in, the, we're in the fourth division. Like, we're not, we're not an MLS team. You know, like, we're, we're four levels down. We do it on a pretty scrappy budget. Um, the team is set up as a nonprofit. Uh, we didn't, you know, we lost money last year, but maybe, maybe this year we'll get to break even. Um, and it's just like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun project. The matches are great. It brings the community together. You know, it inspires kids to play. So we got this like cool thing going on. And now we're trying to figure out like what, what's next for it. So was there, was there already a, kind of a league and teams to play like in the area? Do you have to go a long ways to? Oh yeah. So we, points? um, you know, I, 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 uh, there's, we're in a league called the NPSL and the league is about a hundred teams around the country, right? So there's teams in California and Portland and Texas and, you know, Detroit, like really all over the country they're spread. And, you know, we've filled out the paperwork to file for an expansion team. Like mm-hmm. we want to be an expansion team. We're going to play in the Hudson Valley. And, you know, we, we got in, right. Which I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they let us in. <laughs> um, and, you know, we ended up playing teams in Boston and New York and, uh, there's, there's one in New Hampshire, one in Maine, there's two in Connecticut now. Uh, so we travel, but we don't have to travel all over the country. So it keeps the cost pretty low. Uh, but the league is great. It's like startup soccer, right? And so it's just all these pe- all these entrepreneurs that are just building, instead of building a tech startup, you're building like a soccer startup. Huh. And, you know, all trying to sell merchandise and get ticket sales and, you know, build an audience and do really well in the field. And, you know, everyone wants that opportunity to, you know, to play bigger, bigger and better teams. And and how much? And the reason why I'm asking this because you were pretty uh, public with all this on the article. But how, so how, how much did it cost to get the team going, and how much 
how much did you lose in that first uh, season? If you can, if you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I published um, I published all this data online yeah. on my media page, so maybe I'll have you link to it in the description for the blog post. But like, I wrote a big blog post before the season started about like what we're doing and why we think it's important and what the goals are for this. And then we wrote one at the end of the season, which is here's every piece of data that I have about all the stuff we sold. You know, how many people showed up at the games you know, what the weather conditions were, how far we had to travel, how much travels cost, how much the sponsorships cost. Um, you know, I think, it, I don't know the numbers right in front of me, but I think the book, we, we ended up running on a budget of about uh, a little bit over $100,000, maybe about $115,000. Okay. Um, and we didn't get to break even, um, but we got pretty, if you count the, you know, all the stuff that we sold through the holiday season, cause we sold a lot of merchandise. We got, we got pretty close. We're probably like ten ten thousand $10,000 away from get breaking maybe 10 or 15 on the first season, uh, which I think is pretty good. Um, and you know, we're basically going to try the same thing next year with like, uh, you know, a bigger, bigger crowd. Um, you know, um, the sponsors are chipping in a little bit more. We'll probably sell more merchandise. There's greater awareness for the club. We might make the playoffs, you know, so there's, there's all these other things into it, but I'm trying to put together a model. So if other people want to do a project like this and start a team in New Jersey or in Arizona or wherever you are in the U S like you can look at it and say like, okay, we can either afford this or we can't, or this is how we could afford it. Or this is what we, we, you know, we will or won't do. Uh, and so I think that's, um, like, there, there was no instruction manual when we were starting this. And, you know, my approach has been like, why don't, why don't we be the ones that make the manual too? Huh. Like we'll kind of put together this list of how we did it and hopefully it will encourage other people to do it too, which it has, you know, there's probably 10 teams that I've talked to that are like, Hey, we're starting from scratch and we're following your model. And, wow. you know, thank you so much for doing this. And I'm like, that's great. Like, let that's me know amazing. if you actually, Put a team together. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought someday we'll get to play one of the teams that was inspired by us doing it, and that'll be like a really fun thing. Huh. Yeah, Madison needs something like that because we have like a minor league baseball, but this is be well. I like watching soccer a lot more than baseball, so this is a that's why I was so intrigued. Um, yeah, I wonder if there is a team already in in Madison and in, in our league. You know, like, I don't think I'll, uh, so. I'll look it up. Yeah, look it, it up. Let you know. <laughs> look it up. And, We'll link to it if, it, if if they are. But I mean, yeah, not that I know of. But um, so where, where do you where do you want to take uh, kind of the your, your soccer vision? I mean, right now, just uh, um, content with keep growing your current team. Do you want to keep? Uh, do you want to expand or what? Are... Yeah, I mean, I, we did okay last year. You know, like we're you know like we're we're basically like a tech startup that doesn't have a. a you know, a working product yet, right? So, like, we had a we had a prize on the field, but we only we we won less than half of our games. Um, so this year, we want to be more competitive in in our conference, um, which I think we'll do. Like, we made some changes to the coaching staff. We have, um, uh, you know, we we have all these players kind of coming out of the woodwork. Like, we do our we're in the middle of tryouts now. We do our fifth tryout next um, on this Saturday. It's our last tryout. Um, so I'm excited to see you know, what the, what the squad ends up looking like, and I think the team will be uh, a little bit stronger than it was last year, which is great. But I, you know, I think a lot about the the league in general, and the league is what 100 teams now. Like, what if the league was 500 teams? Wow, what yeah. if everyone was was competing and getting prize money, and and you know, trying to um, you know, there's this whole concept in in soccer outside the U.S. of, of it's called promotion and relegation where if your team does well, you get promoted to a better league. 
And if you keep winning, you get promoted to an even better league. And eventually you can play the best teams in the country if your team is good enough. But if you don't do well, you get knocked into a worse league. And if you do, don't do well there, you get knocked down again. And so there's a constant, you know, movement of the teams in between the leagues. You know, like if when you look at U.S. sports, it's like there's the same teams in baseball now that there were when I was like growing up and cared about baseball. And it's the same thing with like the NBA and the NFL. And, you know, very rarely do you have like an amateur team that's battling their way up that gets a, a chance to, to play some of these bigger teams. And I'm, I'm really bullish on this idea of, you know, kind of entrepreneurism, uh, entrepreneurship in terms of um, lower-level sports and people investing in soccer infrastructure as a way to kind of move themselves up um, in the system. But that system doesn't really exist in the U.S. right now, so someone has to make that system. Hmm. Um, which, when you look at it, is like a very daunting thing. It's like, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff that has to be fixed. But like. You know, listen, we, we, we've been working on Foursquare for eight years, and we made all this amazing stuff that, like, we had to build ten other things before we could get to the thing that we actually wanted to build in the beginning. Mm. And so, you know, I see the soccer challenge as kind of it's very similar to me as the Foursquare challenge, right? Like, there's all this stuff that seems impossible that, like, can never get changed or never get fixed until someone just comes along and tries to fix it. And, you know, we... We did that with Foursquare. We built all this technology that just didn't exist, that people said couldn't exist. It just took us eight years to do it. And so, like, what can we do with our team and what can we do with our league and what can that, you know, what can that look like for soccer in the U.S., you know, three years from now or five years from now or ten years from now? Like, those are, that's really fun stuff to think about, especially when you think that, like, our little team in, you know, Kingston, New York, two hours north of New York City, could play a role in, in shaping some of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great vision. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's nothing like what you described in the United States, but that'd make it so uh, so much more interesting and exciting. I and mean, that no other sport would have, and it would never work for any other sport, really. <laughs> just yeah, it's just, it's, it's just not set up that way, right? So we've got, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's there's pro sports and there's, and there's the minor leagues. And, you know, it's just, that's how it is in baseball and basketball and football. And, you know, the minor leagues are sometimes just college teams. Um, but that's just historically, it's just not the way that it's been in soccer throughout the rest of the world. There's like top teams and then there's middle teams and then there's lower teams. And they're all like, you know, professional clubs or amateur clubs. And, but they are the ones that want to, you know, be the champions. And they're all competing around the world to move themselves up in these, in these systems. It's just the U.S. doesn't, we're literally like the only country in the world that doesn't do this. Like yeah, every other really? country does it. Like Australia is the other one that doesn't, yeah. but there's all this stuff that's happening like literally yesterday to to change the systems in, in Australia. So like, is that happening in the U S it should happen someday. It's just not, not there yet. Gotcha. And we have the MLS, but so the MLS is probably structured more like the other major leagues, right? So you'd have, would that be a bar- uh, Would that be the main barrier? The MLS. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's closed. Okay. You know, like the, the word yeah. for it is like it's a closed system. Yeah, and like okay. if you want, if, if I want my team to go in the MLS, it doesn't matter how good the team is. Like I have to pay a one hundred million dollar <laughs> cover charge to get into the. It's literally a hundred million dollars to get really? into the MLS. Oh my goodness! Yeah, in the league below there, you know, a couple leagues below, it's like I have to write a cover charge check for what is it, ten million, five million, two million, whatever it is. It's, it's millions of dollars. Um, you know, our league teams come in at you know you pay. 
fifteen thousand dollars to get into the league, yeah. and that's I, I think that's like a good fair price. It's high enough that it's not full of jokers, and it's low enough that like you can you know pull the money together or do like a Kickstarter or something to get people to you know get the thing across the finish line. Um, and so yeah, it's just you know it's it's there's a lot. I think all that stuff will change over the next um, ten years or so. It's just up for grabs, like how it changes and, and what happens and, and who plays a role in it. And, you know, I'm hoping that our, you know, scrappy little club gets to play a role in, in helping some of that stuff change. Gotcha. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So we're almost done with the podcast, unfortunately, but I got one more question and, and, you know, I, I like your kind of your vision mentality that it's like, Oh, you know, this might take eight years, 10 years, which I think is fairly rare. I mean, everyone says that, but uh, to actually, commit to it is another thing um but along the ways you know there's lots of ups and downs and so you know how do you i guess stay the course how do you stay positive <laughs> how do you uh not be like oh man this is just uh this isn't gonna some days you know, might be like oh this is just not gonna work you know how do you uh kind of keep it going yeah i mean like with Foursquare, where we had a, a North Star, like there's this stuff that we want to build, and we know that like our purpose in the world is to go try to build that stuff. And you know, there's all sorts of other companies along the way that try to put us out of business, and there's all sorts of people that say that you can't build that, or it's never going to work, or Google will do it first. And you know, you just kind of push some of that feedback to the side, and you just continue building the thing that you want to build. Um, and you know, I think. You know, like for a lot of folks, if whoever built a project or built built something like this, you know, the hardest thing is just getting started. And once you get started, then you just do like an hour a day or three hours a day or, or 18 hours a day, whatever it is, right? But like you build a little bit every day and before you know it, like you built something great. And, um, you know, that's like, it's, it's what we do every day at Foursquare and it's kind of what we do every day with the soccer club too. You know, it's like you do, I do an hour's worth work of work on it every day and that'll eventually get us to the season. And then, you know, you do an hour every day, uh, you know, for the next year and that gets us to our third season and everything gets bigger and better every single year. Um, and you know, it's just, that's kind of it. You're just moving, you know, it's a crappy analogy, but like kind of moving the ball forward every, every day a little bit. Huh. That's good. And that, I remember, uh, I like the North star example. I, I think Fred Wilson just had a, a blog post recently, about one of the most important things is setting a vision in the startup, like right away or like a, some type of vision. <laughs> and and that sounds yeah. like you guys, maybe it was thinking of you guys, but it sounds like you guys kind of had that, um, early on, which is maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, the vision can change, you know, like the, the vision isn't always very specific. Like sometimes it changes depending on, you know, what, like how, where the world is moving and what's changing the world. You know, like we, we always, we always knew like, Hey, we want to make, we want to make this software that, um, you know, that, that changes depending on where you take it. And we want to make, you know, little pieces of software that tell you what to do when you walk into a new restaurant in your neighborhood. Now, like that, that's kind of the big, the big vision, but that's like a, you know, that's a product feature. You know, what we didn't realize is that, you know, if we built all the tools and data and technology that we needed to make that thing happen, that there was all these other kind of visions that hang off of that, all these other businesses, all these other opportunities. And so, you know, a big part of what we've been doing at Foursquare, like I think I said this earlier in the call, like we, we talked about ourselves as a location intelligence company. 
you know, because that summarizes like everything that we do, like the things that we make for consumers, the things we make for brands, the things we make for our partners, the things we make for advertisers. You know, it's like we understand what's going on in the world, where the phones are going, and then we help make awesome stuff based off of that. Um, and, you know, location intelligence wasn't the word that, you know, we were using to describe this stuff when we were working around my kitchen table when there was like two of us. But like that is what the vision has grown up to become. And, like we just get better and better at, at articulating it. Gotcha, and that's a that's a very good place to end. I think I like the the, the fluid vision, and uh, that's yeah. good. So yeah, Dennis, definitely really appreciate you coming on the the show, and it's been great. Uh, I learned a lot. Sometimes I learn more on other podcasts and less than others, but this one I learned a lot. But what you guys are all doing, and it's exciting stuff. And uh, yeah, wish happy you the to help. Man. <laughs> Thanks so much. If I can be helpful with anything, just let me know. Otherwise. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Dennis. And thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I appreciate it. Bye, everyone. Bye, Dennis. Thank you.